I've become an elite level athlete. I've graduated from college. I've traveled the world. I have a girlfriend. You know, I've, I have a pretty, I have a pretty good life how I am, you know, and it's like, you know, it's easy to let your disability define you, but I've, I've sort of found a way to, you know, define myself with my disability kind of just comes with it. It's just part of who I am. This is the How to Live a Cool Life podcast, a show that taps into the minds of creative, driven, successful people to find out what makes them tick. If you've ever wanted a blueprint for dominating life, well, this is pretty close. Here's your host, Phil Mackey. Hey guys, welcome to the How to Live a Cool Life podcast, a blueprint for life domination where we tap into the brains of smart, driven, successful, creative people to find out what makes them tick. You can always find show summaries and other information from each episode on howtolivecoollife.com. And if you haven't subscribed on iTunes yet, we would greatly appreciate if you would. And if you could leave some kind of review as well, that would be spectacular. My friend Chuck Aoki joins me for this episode, the star of the U.S. wheelchair rugby team that's aiming for a gold medal later on this year at the Paralympic Games. Chuck was born with a rare genetic condition that causes him to have no feeling below his knees. But instead of lamenting his lifelong need for a wheelchair, Chuck embraced the disability from a young age and became one of the best disabled athletes in the entire world. I think you guys are going to love Chuck's energy, his positive mindset, his refreshing views on life, and some of the topics we cover in this episode. I hope you all get value out of this one. It's my conversation with Chuck Aoki. Let's just get started with, I, tell us your backstory of why you're in a wheelchair sure. and sort of your life growing up and provide some perspective on your life growing up. Sure. Um, yeah, so I was, um, you know, I was born here in Minnesota in uh, the 1991. It's pretty, as far as I could tell when I was born, a normal kid, as far as you could tell. Baby, cried a lot, was smart, intelligent, clever, whatever. Um, and so, but as I grew older, um, uh, some things started to be different. You know, I learned to walk on my knees. It's kind of weird. Most kids don't walk on their knees. It's really painful. My mom saw that. That's weird. Took me to the doctor. Doctor said, oh, he'll outgrow it. I started to kind of, um, I literally, you know, most kids chew their nails or whatever. I literally was like chewing my fingers as like a three or four year old. My my mom's like, well, that's really weird. Took me to the doctor. Doctor said, oh, it doesn't hurt him. He'll outgrow it. She's like, but he has teeth. She's like, they're like, oh, he'll outgrow it. So did you feel, did you feel pain? No, I don't feel pain. That's part of the, part of the. The lead up to what this is. So, you know, back in, we had this back and forth. My mom, is when I was a young kid, is like, what's going on? Like, clearly he's got some sort of issue. Um, and it was fine when I was six years old. I broke my femur, which is the biggest bone in your leg. Um, and they took me to the doctor and were like, okay, like, how did he break his femur and not know it? Like, how did that happen? And that led to a series of different uh, doctor visits and bouncing around all over the state of Minnesota, seeing different specialists that finally settled on this very rare genetic condition where I don't feel any pain. Uh, below my elbows and below my knees. So I just feel nothing. There's no pain. There's no hot, cold, anything. Was this from birth or was it a gradual onset? Yeah, I, I had had it from birth. It turned out we didn't really um, – it, no, it's very rare. There's myself and there's five people in Canada we know with it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So this is this is rare, right? Like th- it wasn't like a doctor. Was, the doctor was just negligent. They just had never heard of something like this and probably never would. Um, and so that led to – you know, finding out I had this, and that led to sort of some back and forth. Okay, what does that mean for his future? Well, we don't really know. Um, it led to me injuring my legs back and forth. Because you imagine you walk on your legs, 
and you, I had to walk from my hips. I had to step so hard, I felt it all the way up in my hips. Not my foot, not my ankle, not my knee, not my thigh, my, my hips. So I was walking like just boom, 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 exerting all this pressure. Um, and that led to tearing ACLs, breaking you know more bones, all sorts of stuff until I was about 10 when um, you know a doctor came into the room and sort of looked at me and goes, you know what, this... You have, you have to use a wheelchair the rest of your life. This, you know, this just this this isn't sustainable. What you're doing, you're not going to have anything left in your legs at all if we keep up at this pace. And so, by doing that, um, I started using a chair when I was about ten full time. Um, and what that led to was, you know, I, I were able to maintain a little bit of function. I can still walk a little bit for sort of, you know, if I need to get up a step or two, or if I have to go to the bathroom on an airplane, for example, which is quite helpful. Um, they maintain a little bit, but I, I use a wheelchair, you know, completely full time now. Like I, I have so many questions, and we're <laughs> going to dive so much into, like, sort of filling the gaps between, you know, your childhood and kind of where you are now as as this top level athlete. But right. I, I want to jump to uh, wheelchair rugby, or sure. like, how, first of all, how you've told me this story before, but just yeah. for the audience, how and when did Murderball, the name Murderball, get get applied right. to wheelchair rugby, and when, when did you tell us also when did you sort of catch on to uh, that sport and maybe even like just your love for sports in general? Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll probably start with myself. You know, I grew up, like I said, all these injuries, but I was active. I loved sports from I was five years old. You know, I can't want My dad found me one time crying. and He goes, what's wrong? And I looked at him and go, Dad, if I, when I get drafted, I might get drafted by the Yankees. Five years old, that was like my biggest fear was the Yankees drafting me. <laughs> Wait, so it wasn't good enough just to be in Major League no, no, Baseball. No. It was I, like, I need the right team. I had to be a twin. Or Eli Manning I, did that, though. I think he just, anyone but the Chargers. You can get away with it. You can get away with it. It's okay to be a prima donna sometimes. Um, but so, you know, from five years old, I love sports. I just, my dad loves sports. He passed it on to me. Um, I just loved everything. I've loved every single sport since I was a kid. Anything I could run around with, kick a ball, throw it, whatever. Um so then when I was younger, I started playing wheelchair basketball since I was in a chair, and I love that sport. It's, um, it's a great sport. You know, it got me active, met a lot of friends that way. Um, but then when I was, I think I was in what I mean, sophomore in high school, this movie came out called Murderball, yeah. which was a documentary about the 2004 wheel, uh, Paralympic wheelchair rugby team. And I'm like, well, this sounds interesting. So, you know, me and my mom go to see it. And I see these guys in chairs literally flying up and down the court, smashing into each other, tipping over, knocking people around. And this, just this incredible sport. And we leave the theater. And I look at my mom and go, I want to go play that. And the infer- immediate response was no. No. Absolutely not. You are not playing that sport. <laughs> and so the back and forth continued, you know, for several uh, months. Of, Come on, mom. Can I go try it this week? No. And finally, I think I kind of wore down, you know, eventually, like most kids do. It's like, fine. You can go try it. So well, like, how would you even? Maybe you're going to get. Maybe I'm cutting you off. No, no. How would you even get into it? It's not like there's just. I would assume there's not just pickup games you can right. go. Like you can go and play a pickup basketball game, or. Right. Uh, but there's probably not just pickup murder ball games. You know, you go down to the, <laughs> right. to the fitness club. or yeah. something. No, that's a good. That's a great point. You know, there's um, there's hundreds and hundreds of people who qualify for that athletics out there, but most of them don't know it exists. And so I was lucky that, I, like I said, I grew up playing wheelchair basketball, so I knew the organization. I went to Courage Kenny, Courage Kenny Rehabilitation Institute, what it's called now. I knew that they had a team, and we could look up online, you know, when they practice and stuff. So I, me and my dad showed up one night um, on a Wednesday night and just was kind of like, hey, I'd like to, like to give it a try. And they kind of sized me up, this kind of probably scrawny 16-year-old kid, and these are all... Mostly guys in their late twenties, early thirties, just big hulking guys go, 
okay, sure, yeah, come on, give it a try. <laughs> so they put me in a chair. Um, I you know pushed around, got knocked around. They knocked me over, hit me into a couple walls, sent me in flying into the stands, and all of a sudden I got out of practice and go home. My dad's like, so what would you think? And I was like, yeah, that's the sport I want to play. Yeah. So that, that was it. You know, I, I fell in love with the first hit. So how did you eventually, like, what, what is your training process like? What was your sort of climb up the ladder like? And what, 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 what's, a, what's a typical week like for you in training? How did you go from jumping in for the first time to, you know, being on the national team at right. some point? Well, you know, um, my, my skills, I'll say, from wheelchair basketball translated, you know, ultimately, you know, you think of um, able-bodied athlete, you use your legs, right? Legs are kind of the crucial component to pretty much any sport you're going to play. Um, but in any wheelchair sport, it's your arms, you know, so I had brought at that point, I'd brought about eight years worth of, you know, basketball pushing into this sport. So I already had kind of the natural idea of, you know, instead of how to run, I knew how to push, you know, I just had to learn the, the finite aspects to the game. So I played throughout high school. I went to university of Arizona for a couple of years. Um, and played on their team down there. And I really, that's where I really stepped my game to the next level. I made my first national team, my senior year of high school. Actually, on kind of a more developmental team, they took me along. Said, "Let's let's see what you got. Let's see if you can uh, start to contribute." And so that's when I really, you know, flipped the switch into, "Oh, I could I could be pretty good at this," you know. And that's so now, you know, it's five six days a week in the gym. That's lifting. That's um, training. You know, our our light days. I like to say are a ten k in our rugby chair, which is like our our easy. Wait, a day. light day oh. is a ten k <laughs> in a. Wow, the light day is a, is a it was a it's a recovery push. So you do ten, yeah, you do a ten k. So that's the uh, break out all the lactic acid in your muscles and just I'm gonna ask your a cardio p- base. A potentially <laughs> ignorant question. I would guess you it. have incredibly strong arms. That that is something I I I am proud of. Yes, like I'm can you put strong. into context? Like, is there some kind of a like a lift or an amount of weight <laughs> or something you can put into context for how strong your arms probably have to be <laughs> to be a professional athlete? You know the the way I'll the way I'll put it. I think that most people kind of um, are able to get is I you know we play in these wheelchairs right, and they're not like your average you know you see a hospital wheelchair or something. These are I play in a, a chair that weighs about thirty five pounds of that's solid aluminum. And I have to push that chair along with my body weight for as much as an hour and a half straight, yeah. just sprinting up and down the court, knocking in the guys, pushing each other around. And we have to be able to do that, you know, sometimes tw- two different times in a day. We play two games a day sometimes. And so you have to be ready to just propel yourself physically as fast as you can in this chariot, essentially, um, up and down the court. And it's just it's a, it's a physical workout, but it's also a lot of fun. How much... Have you ever had self-doubt? Have you ever had – because I, I, I guess you, you probably have people who all throughout your life either perceive you differently or perceive your upside differently or treat you differently because you're in a wheelchair. Right. Like how much of that have you had to go through even just going back to like the elementary school days of people sort of perceiving, oh, well, he's in a wheelchair, so – you know, yeah. condescending this, condescending that. Right. You know, I'm. I, I. I like to say I'm lucky. I think I had a real. I had a pretty, you know, good school experience. As most kids go, I wasn't really bullied. Um, you know, my teachers. I give credit to teachers. Did a great job of saying, "Look, this is something Chuck has. He's in a wheelchair. It's not contagious. You're not gonna suddenly be in a wheelchair. You know, and that's just sort of his, his thing, and that's who he is. So I'm lucky that I didn't have that. I'm um, in school at least so much, but you know, it, it still is sort of this. This underlying, um, I think I think the best way to put it, it's this underlying thing that underlies any my inter- any interaction I have with almost anyone. Unfortunately, you know, and it's gotten better over time. But definitely, when I was younger. You'd meet someone and they'd be nice to you, or whatever. And you'd walk away from the conversation, going, "Okay, 
is that person my friend? Are we friendly? Or do they just look at me and say, oh, that kid in a wheelchair, like we, you know, I better be nice to him. He's already got a, a tough enough life, you know? Yeah. And so it, 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 it underlies almost every interaction you have with people because you're just not sure. You know, you don't know, am I being treated this way because they genuinely like me? I think, think I'm a nice guy or is it just this sort of not, and it's not even a conscious thing. I think for a lot of people, I don't think people intentionally say, I'm going to treat this person differently, but they see someone whose experience is so different from theirs and it causes them to act in a different way. How do you either combat that or prevent it? Or I'm sure you see it coming. Like if you, if you say it happens in almost all of your daily interactions at some point. So it's like, what's your response to that? Or what's, what are your uh, counteractions to that? Right. Um, I think, you know, the best way I counter it is when you just can't let it bother you, you know, you have to let your personality stand out. And, and I, I, I know I'm a, funny guy, you know, I'm pretty confident. And I, I like to think at this point in my life, I know that that carries through more than anything about my disability. You know, I don't make my, I don't put my disability out there front and center and, you know, say, hi, I'm Chuck Aoki and I use a wheelchair. You know, I'm not going to, not going to address that. I'm going to, you know, be confident. You should start doing that just to test like, <laughs> just the, to, like the social aspect of it. Just to throw people off. Yeah. So by the way, did you notice this? Like, it's crazy. Like, so is... I'll tell you my whole story. If you'd like me, you feel terrible for me and then we can just get past that. Yeah. You know, that was the joke my mom had when I was younger, especially kid in wheelchair. People would always ask me, Oh, what happened? What happened? You know, we're talking probably five or six times a day. And so she was like, you know what? We're going to pin a note to your chest that says your name, your disability and how it happens. You don't have to explain it to people anymore. Yeah. Um, and so what it, what it became though is, you know, I also learned over time, I don't owe anybody anything. It's, I don't have to sit here and explain to you why I use a wheelchair and how hard it is to get around the snow. Like I, you know, I, do I do it sometimes? Yeah, sure. You know, I don't mind informing people. But if I don't feel like sitting down and having a deep dive with some total stranger in a, in a bar bathroom about why getting around a chair is hard, I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I don't owe that to anybody. And if someone perceives me as rude for that, you know, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's fair. I do. I think sense. what you're saying is because most people probably don't think of, um, of just how many times you have to answer questions from people that like you're sort of you're sort of wearing um, if it, and it doesn't even sound like you view yourself as disabled in a sense that other people would when when uh, they think of being confined quote unquote to a wheelchair but like depression runs in my family for instance mm-hmm. and so that's a that's a mental hurdle or some kind of a, a, a hang up that you have to get over or that you deal with on a daily basis right but it's hidden. Yeah. So, you know, like my dad, my grandpa, never would they have to interact with a stranger and then explain, oh, yeah, um, like I, you're asking about my depression. Uh, well, this is what I'm going through right. today. Like it would because ne- it's hidden. Mm-hmm. But for you, it's not hidden. And so you exactly. do have to deal with more things from from strangers or from just people in general. Yeah. And I think that there's 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 a there's a benefit and a negative to that. You know, the flip side is if if I do have a legitimate challenge, people don't question me on it. You know, if I'm like, well, can you help me up this? This this ramp that's covered in ice. No one's gonna look at me in a wheelchair and go, "No, do it yourself." You know what I mean? Like if I need legitimate help, I, I you know people don't question me, and I think yeah. that's a, something I'm lucky to have. And people with like you refer to hidden disabilities don't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt. Um, but the flip side, of course, is that then you know I, I, I the phrase I use sometimes is almost like well-meaning discrimination. It or not not even well-meant discrimination, but you know people will run in front of me to open a door for me that I'm either can push the handicap button or open myself. People will ask me, you know, just do I need help doing anything? You know, like getting getting my own pop at a gas station if I need help going into the bathroom. If I, you know, they'll ask me for help for virtually anything. And so that's sort of this the flip side is that oh my like we got to we got to help this guy any chance we can. And you know? you'd rather just 
not have that. You'd rather just like do it on your own. Is what you're saying, right? You know, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've made it twenty, almost twenty five years now. Yeah. You know, I, I'm doing fine on my own. Um, you know, I, I say that to people. Always ask, oh, what's you know, what what should we do if we need someone with disability? Like, there's this there's a secret code, you know. And it's like, well, you know, it's it's like you do with anybody. If someone asks for help, help them. If they don't ask for your help, don't help them. You know, I I, I like to say if you saw someone at a in a grocery store who, you know, is reaching up for something, you know, would you just automatically go, oh, here, here, let me get that for you. You know, well, you wouldn't just, you wouldn't just like cut in on an able-bodied person to help them. You know, you, you wouldn't do that. You, know, you assume people have a way of doing it um, in their life and they'll, they'll ask for help if they need it. Uh, you've, you've told me that you, even if you were given the option to be able-bodied again, or maybe again isn't even the right term because you were right. never fully able-bodied, but exactly. if you were given the option to be able-bodied, that you probably wouldn't choose to be able-bodied. What can you expand on that? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't. And I think you t- the first part you touched on is important. I think I, I don't have an able-bodied experience. My life is as a person with a disability. That's that's my life experience. That's who I am. And so, part of it is it's part of my identity. You know, a person who uses a wheelchair is a part of my identity. And so, you know, to 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 ask me, well, would you would you give up your identity? It's like, well, no. You know, I wouldn't give up my identity. And I say again because, you know, I've, I've done incredible things because with, you know, not in spite of my disability. You know, I've become an elite-level athlete. I've graduated from college. I've traveled the world. I have a girlfriend. You know, I have, I, have a pretty, I have a pretty good life how I am, you know. And it's like, you know, it's easy to let your disability define you. But I've, I've sort of found a way to, you know, define myself with my disability kind of just comes with it. It's just part of who I am. Yeah. Do you, what are your just general pieces of advice on overcoming adversity in general or, um, I guess, remaining positive? Because your, your mindset is just – it's so uh, organic and it's, it's just right. – you don't have a polluted mindset. It seems right. like you just have such a fresh perspective and uh, you don't seem jaded at all. You don't seem angry. And even though that might not seem weird to you, like it might just mm-hmm. seem normal to you, I think a lot of right. people listening would figure that's that's pretty cool. Like I can't believe that right. somebody would have this kind of a mindset. And so, what what are your general observations? Your general pieces of advice for for getting into that mindset? Sure. Well, I I think I should I, I will start by saying when I was younger, I, I was really angry. Actually, you know, I was upset. I was frustrated. Like this didn't seem fair to me. You know, I'm, I have, I have, why do I have to be the one who uses a wheelchair? Why can't I go play with my friends? Why can't I play baseball? You know, there was a lot of frustration early on. I think that's pretty natural for most people. But like you said, what's important is how do you move past that? You know, I, 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 you, know you have to look at yourself and say, am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I making myself a better person by being angry? You know, am I contributing? What am I doing to contribute to my self-worth? You know, what is in my control? And I think being a person with disability control is a really important thing because you feel a lot of the times like you're out of control. You can't control your health. You can't control how people perceive you. You can't control if it's going to snow 10 inches tomorrow and you get stuck in your house. You know, you can't control that. So, you know, an important thing that I think uh, people should focus on is what can I control? And you can control your attitude. You know, you can control the way you react to people. You can control what choices you make in life. You can control... You know, where you're going to go um, out, you know, where are you going to go out, where are you going to do whatever. And I think that a lot of people who are angry and frustrated feel like they don't have that control. You know, you think, I, I can't control that. I, I can't control that. And it's like, well, you can. You know, it, and it's hard. It can be kind of scary sometimes to step back and say, yeah, I can control how I'm going to react to that person. I can't control if I'm going to have a good day today or not. I mean, to a certain extent, of course. But, you know, you, yeah. you have more control than you realize. You just have to sort of empower yourself to take that control. Yeah, it's... It, I think what you're saying is 
if, if you have control, if you can sort of either if you either do have control or if you can mentally tell yourself that you do have control, you're just sort of automatically in the moment. Like it's it's hard not to be in the moment, and it's hard not to feel good and mm-hmm. and be happy if if you feel like you're in control. But getting to I guess getting to the point where you can mentally feel like you're in control of almost every aspect of your life is right. way easier said than done. It is. You know, it, it absolutely is. And that's why it, it's a piece-by-piece piece thing. You know, it's, 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 one, it, you know it's, geez, it's one day at a time. It's you wake up, and if you wake up in the morning and say, oh, today's going to be bad, it's probably going to be a bad day. <laughs> you know, it's probably going to be a bad day. But wake up, say, you know what, let's see what we can make today out of it. Have yourself breakfast. You know, feel better. You know, and you, if the more you start to... And if you frame your mind that way, you'll find more positive things. You know, if you frame it that way, you won't – instead of seeing, oh, that person was really rude to me, you'll remember the, just the small – you'll remember the person who opened the door for you. You'll remember the really polite cashier. You'll remember the friendly hello you got. You know, it, 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 I think it, it's about, a lot about mindset. It's about mindfulness and framing. If you, can, if you learn how to frame things in a more positive way, you'll find more positivity in the world. What, what are some of your other key philosophies in life? Like what are, your, what are some of your – the things that you do every single day – uh, the things that you either consume or read or think on a daily basis. What are some of your other your life pillars, so to speak? Um, you know, I think being informed is a big pillar for me. You know, I'm a young millennial here, and I I like to think that I'm informed about what's going on in the world around me. You know, I think a lot of distrust and confusion and frustration comes from again that lack of control, and a part of that is a lack of knowledge. You know, so I, I feel it's important to be knowledgeable and be knowledgeable about things you like and enjoy. You know, you don't have to sit down and read 30 pages about what's going on in Syria. That, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be that. So if you're passionate about the arts, read deep and passionately about the arts. You know, finding your passion is just something that I, I'm passionate about, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I know it's kind of a... That's very deep. That's yeah, very I, know, I know it's kind of a... Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it, it, it's important to find something you're passionate about, you know, and you can allow your passion to sort of spill over to the rest of your life, you know, and I think that a lot of people have a hard time finding that passion, and even, you know, and, and even worse than that sometimes, you find it, but then you feel like you can't access it. You know, well, I work all the time. I can't do what I love. You know, I, I, I have my kids. I can't do what I love, and I think it's... All those things may be true. I think it's important to find time for your passions in life and find time for those things that you really, you really do love. And whether it's you spend 15 minutes before bed Googling something you really wanted to read, do that. You know? And I think that's, that's something that a lot of people are missing in their lives, and we try to replace you know, what our passions are with things that we think should be our passions, if that makes sense, what people tell us we should enjoy, what we, what we want to like. You know, I wanted anything like, oh, I heard this thing is so good. Like, I got to watch it, and now I feel obligated to like it because everybody else does, you know? Don't you so. think that has to do with it, it's a lot of people, there's, there's so much noise in 2015, 2016 that there's just, there's so many external stimulations out there, and it's really yeah. hard to get to the core of what drives you, to get to the core of what, inspires you and what motivates you it's like it seems like everyone is fighting the outside in um building of their mentality and their existence uh it's 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 harder now more than ever to build an inside out existence mm-hmm. if that's real that's really deep and i don't know if that makes sense to listeners but like i remember one time i was going through and i don't know if it's genetic or how or how depression works sometimes mm-hmm. but i was going through a really sort of deep and dark period about 10 years ago and i just couldn't figure out the why of anything i couldn't figure out like what why am i doing this for a living why do i do this is, right. what's the point i kept asking yeah. and i never became suicidal but i kept 
thinking, I see the path that some people go down. Mm-hmm. And my, my initial solution was, I'm going to make a list of all the things that I am. Like, I'm going right. to, I want to know what I am and who I am. Mm-hmm. And so initially, I started writing down things like, I love 80s hair bands. <laughs> like, I love uh, sports and I love baseball. And it was all these external right. things. And I look back on that, and then later on, I kind of discovered meditation and sure. yeah. uh, like Eckhart Tolle and so, some different uh, mindfulness, mindfulness readings. Yes. And I saved that, it's a Word document. I still mm-hmm. have it on my computer to this day. And I, I'll never. I, I go back to that maybe once every six months, and I just think back to how amazing it was that I was trying to determine my self worth and my identity by right. all these external fleeting things that right. don't even really have any value. Like they, they might not even exist. Like if baseball goes away, am I just going to feel empty? Like that's right. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think what you said early on there is really yeah. There is so much noise today. There's so many things to like and enjoy, you know, and it's. It, there's just you know we we live in a we live in a in a world that is both blessed and almost cursed by the the availability of information you know you can you can go out now and find somebody who's going to agree with you on anything or you can find somebody who disagrees with anything. you know you can you can find all these different things and the best example i have of that you know is a few uh, a couple of years ago friends of mine went to a concert at imagine dragons you probably yeah. heard of them you went to a concert and i really liked them a lot you know i've learned a lot of their songs you know i enjoyed it and so we went to a concert um me and some of my friends went, and it was, you know, like I knew all the songs. I'm kind of singing. I was enjoying it and having a great time. And afterwards, you know, one of my friends remarked to me. He's like, wow, you really like them, huh? I was like, yeah, like, you know, I really enjoy them. He's like, you know, like all their songs. I was like, yeah. He's like, that's so cool. You know, like that's so rare today that, you know, in, in our world that, you know, and this is kind of a, a micro, micro of it, but, you know, there's so much music out there. You know, I, I'm amazed you're able to find that deep love and passion and interest in them through just, you know, when there's all this, all this extra stuff out there, Pandora like Dora yeah. and songs, of yeah, iTunes music, exactly. And this and that. You know, yeah. and I was able to. I said, well, you know, I really like these guys, and I enjoy their music, and I kind of enjoy what they're about. And I think, you know, you could you could extrapolate that to the rest of the world. You know, as we're all you're pulled in so many different directions. Like, oh, you should like this, you should like that, you should be in part of this, you should read about that, you should be informed about this, and it's like it's overwhelming. You know, and the the, <laughs> the flip side is just to shut down and ignore it all. Yeah. You've, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you you, run, you ran this by me a few days ago just when we were kind of emailing back and forth about what we wanted to kick around on this podcast. Yeah. The difference between the why people do something and the how and the what mm-hmm. and the line between those two things. Could you dive into that and expand on that? Right. You know, I, I, I think what, what the, dif- the difference between, you know, the why you do something and the how and what you do is really it, it comes back to passion once again. You know, if you say to somebody, you know, the best example I can think of usually is, you know, what's your job? Oh, I'm uh, a radio host for 1500 ESPN. Just there you out there. Okay, oh, what do you do? Well, you know, I, I, I host a show and I, I um, talk about sports. You know, we, we have segments and then I do some podcasts on the side and I host some other shows and I do most of You know, that, that's what you do. And then, how, well, how do you do it? Well, you know, we have a studio and we go to the studio. You know, and that, that's just, you know, and a lot of people... That's how most people explain their jobs at all, though. You know, like if you work it's at a, very true. I if never you work, thought about that. If thing. you work at a bank, well, what do you, what's your job? Oh well, I uh, you know I'm in charge of finance lending, and then you get this extravagant breakdown of that. Which well, I how will do you not do that? Well, to. I sit in the cubicle. Yeah, I type on my and computer. I mostly and just visit program. Facebook a few times a day. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so and, and most people, you know, there's this there's this dullness about it, and there's this boredom of it. And it's like, well, why do you do that? And if you ask, you know, a lot of people, well, why do you, you know, why do you do that? They'll look at you and go, well, because it's my, my, my job. 
you know, it's how I make a living. It's like, is that, and you know, and I get, you know, we live in 2015, we live in kind of a materialistic society. You need to earn income in order to um, be successful, of course. But it's like, you know, why, why do you do that? Is it because it's a job, you know? And I think that that's, that's where trips a lot of people up, you know, it trips a lot of people up. And the same thing with, with my with sports, you know, people say, "Oh, what do you play?" Oh, I play wheelchair rugby, and then, you know, I could give a breakdown of how awesome it is and what an intense sport it is, but that doesn't resonate with people as well as, "Well, why do you play wheelchair rugby?" Well, I play wheelchair rugby because I love it, because it gives me an outlet. Because when I play um, adaptive sports, I don't feel disabled. You know, I feel like another athlete. I'm able to. I play wheelchair rugby because. You know, there's nothing – There's the physicality of it is so incredible. It keeps me in shape. You know, it's a passion. You know, I've loved sports since I was a kid, and it's transformed my life in ways I could never imagine. You know, sport has brought me so much, and I'm – you know, I, and I play sports because I want to inspire other kids with disabilities to be active and to be engaged. And that's the why, you know, and that's so much more – engaging then well it's four on four in a basket you know and i I can tell in an exciting way but you get what i'm saying well yeah because you've kind of this is i love this this Mm -hmm. is a it's something that i never really thought deeply about that if i were to ask you Mm -hmm. why do you participate in wheelchair rugby Mm -hmm. you'd be probably super excited to answer that question right because it is a passion of yours and you love it exactly but if you went up to someone who just kind of goes through the motions and hates what they do right or or hates what they participate in they would take offense to that question Right. If you walked up to someone who hated their job and you said, "Hey, uh, why why do you do this?" They'd be like, "Well, because I got to make I gotta, right. Yeah, I mean, got to make a living. Like, they, what are you talking about? They'd probably get insecure. What do you do? Yeah, why do you do? It? Yeah, there's a deflection from it. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, it's it's it, it's just a way of framing it, you know. And I think that you have to look at the why, you know, the the how, the what, the how much, you know, overwhelms the why right now. And I think that. You know, I think there's a balance to be struck between the two, but and you know, not everybody can be passionate about their job. You know, some inevitably someone's gonna have to do a job that they're not passionate about. But then you have to, again go back to you have to find something you're passionate about and do that. And you can talk about well, why do you do that? Well, I do this because it allows me to, you know, increase my collection of comics that I really like, and I have this really cool 1970 first edition Superman. Let me tell you, you know what I mean? And so that's kind of the, you know, I think, again, it goes back to framing, you know? Well, yeah, my job sucks and it's tough, but guess what? It allows me to have the funds to do this and pursue my passion. So it sounds like you're not even saying... Hey, get, get rid of the things that that uh, if you if you can ask if you ask yourself why and the answer isn't favorable. It's, it sounds like you're not saying exclusively get rid of those things. It sounds like you're saying you keep using the phrase reframe. Mm-hmm. Um, even if things aren't perfect right now, with your answer to why do you do this, you can reframe it in a way that's more positive or or more optimistic. Right. Well, because I think you know a lot of self help and a lot of positivity coaches say this. You know, eliminate the negativity, eliminate the stuff, and to a certain extent, you can. Eliminate it, but there are certain you know we live in 2015 United States of America. You have to have a job. You know you can't just you know it's great to say well I hate my job I'll just quit it. You know that unfortunately while that may be great for three to six months you're gonna probably end up back in the same place you were before. <laughs> you know and so I think I've, I've I've thought about that a lot and I've said you know that that doesn't quite do it for me. It doesn't quite do it for me to just say eliminate everything, quit it all, drop it all. And some people do that. Some people go on a Eight months sojourn across southeastern Asia and come back and change person. That's great for them, but you know that's that's not a that's not a one size fits all type answer, you know. But I think this idea of like yeah, like I said, you know, reframe it. Well, my my sucky job allows me to pursue my passion in art or graphic design, or I or I write on the side, you know. And I think that's kind of 
what um how you have to frame it you know and is it fair that oh, I don't want to have to suffer through my job? Well, then look at the other option. Don't just, you know, I'm not saying don't quit your job, stay in your job forever, but reframe. Look at what else is out there and kind of survey. Well, what does this allow me to do? Well, I make a good salary. I can spend the weekends with my family all the time. I don't have to worry about an extra job. Yeah. Hey, back on the on the rugby front for a yeah. second. You've mentioned that you might have to play a couple games in a day and you've got mm-hmm. the 35-pound chair yeah. and, you know, it's just – and you you know you're getting just just beat on for uh, for the entire game sometimes. What does your body feel like the day after, uh, like a big game or back to back games? Right. Um, <laughs> at first, it hurt a lot. It was just sore. Um, you know what it is is you know it, it you're you're sore. You're beat up. Um, you know the, you're you're strapped into your chair. So if you fall, you don't go flying, but the chair falls with you. So your chair will fall with you and on top of you sometimes. And so you'll have, we'll have bruises on our backs. You know, you'll be sore. Your back yeah, that, There can be no comfortable way to fall, I would think. There is not a good way to fall. There are just less dangerous ways to fall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's tucking your head so you don't get concussions, basically. Um, but, yeah, you know, you're sore, you're beat up, but in sort of a, maybe a masochistic type of way, it's a good feeling. You know, it's like, I, you know, I was physical out there. I, I worked hard, you know, and that, that feeling of beat up and fatigue is this is this sort of almost a – a, a badge of honor, like, you know, like, well, I worked hard yesterday. I played a lot of minutes. I got beat up, and we still came out on top. Like, that, that's a good feeling, yeah. you know. How long can you play for? Like, how long do the top players – What? who's the oldest player on the national team? Oldest player on our national team is 37, I think. Oh, so you have it. if you want you – you could play for another decade if, if you continue in, in peak if, performance, yeah, you know, if, barring injury. Yeah, if health, health stays well and I keep training and performing, I could – yeah, I could play for a long time, and I – Certainly hope to, but in you know, in the world of athletics, it's one eye, one one tiny eye in the future, but everything else is eight months from now. Have you thought so. about what some of your like your secondary and on down the line other passions would be? Like if you if you weren't able to play, let's say you just weren't a great athlete, like you loved right. wheelchair rugby, but you're yeah. just sorry, dude, sorry, Chuck. Um, the <laughs> roster not, is just yeah. it doesn't have room for you anymore. Yeah. Um, what what would your other passions be? You know, I I have a lot of passions, I think, and I think I'm kind of lucky in that way that I be, I become passionate. I don't want to say I become passionate very easily. I don't want to sound like I just deal out passions left and right. You're just a soap opera. Yeah, I just, I'm just constantly dramatic. But I, I do really <laughs> have passions about a lot of things. You know, I love sports. I love to write. I'm a, I love teaching. My degree is actually in teaching. Um, so I have that to fall back on. I'm always very interested in current events and politics. You know, I'd love someday to maybe – you know, work on a campaign, work in government. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not even I'm, that's how uncynical I am that I would be willing to work in the government. I yeah. think that I I still have that belief I could make a difference someday. But you know, I love sports. I love talking. I love I love a lot of things. And so I I don't have like one set when my career ends. I'll do this. But I definitely have a lot of you know open options and say, well, I'll check this out. I'll try this, and something will stick in a good way. I've got uh, I got a handful of like sort of random questions that I guess they're kind of quick hitting questions, yep. but feel free to expand as much as you want or or go as deep as you want or take these in different paths if you want to. Bring it right. on. What is the best compliment someone can give you? Oh, that's a great question. The best compliment. Wow, that's um. That's good. You know, the, there, there's a couple non-rugby different... related. I should add. Sure. No, that that, that that's actually helpful. Um, you know, the 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 best compliment I think that you know anyone can that I I personally like is you know, and you you not you inspired me. You know, you kind of motivated me. You know, you you got me to change the way I thought about something, or you got me to you know think about frame things differently. You know, I, or, or or I learned something from you. You know, I just I I think that. 
you know, whereas people were never done learning. And so I love it when my kids, when I student taught, would say, oh, I learned something cool today. It's like that, that felt good. You know, I changed your frame or I, you know, gave a talk a few weeks back and a, a, a Paralympic type talk. And people were like, wow, I learned a lot from you today. I was like, well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, like I said, in, in the spreading of knowledge. And I try to really do that every chance I can. Yeah. That's got to feel kind of empowering, too. I guess that's why you enjoy the compliment because exactly. you've made a difference. It's not like, yeah. not as much selfish. It's sort of a, oh, you fulfilled someone else or you, pro- or you provided value to someone exactly. else. Exactly. And, and they recognize that enough to acknowledge me for it. And it's like, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could have, let's say, a two-hour dinner with any living person to tap their brain or just throw back a few drinks and, and shoot the breeze with, who would it be and why? Oh, boy. That – now, it'd probably be sucking up to say Phil Mackey. That would probably... <laughs> well, this is, you know, it's closed, man. We can start cracking open drinks. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's see here. Wow, that is that is good. Um, there's there's a couple people I think that I would really enjoy doing that with. Um, the one is the president, you know, of course. I think any sitting president would just be so fascinating to just... What is, what is it truly like to be... The, the most powerful person in the world. Tell me know? the things that you know that, that the public doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. Let's and see all the secrets. It'll stay at this table. Yeah, let's see all the Area 51 documents. Yep. Break out the Kennedy Papers. We're going into this. You How know, many aliens have you seen yeah. in your life? <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think the president would easily be, um, you know, kind of one of the, um, what the, the e- that's the easy answer. Um, but on a different note, I think I would love to sort of talk to, and I got to think of the, who the person would be. I don't know exactly know who would it be. But it would be somebody at um, somebody. I think a way to put it. Somebody in. Oh, you know what? Actually, I know who it'd be. It'd be Dan Patrick. It'd be oh. Dan Patrick, hands down. I think he's just a fascinating guy. He's lived this really cool life of sports broadcasting and journalism, and you know, he's created this sort of not a cult around him, but you know, this this brand about Dan Patrick, and he's this purveyor of knowledge, and he's got this thing. I think he's just a fascinating guy, and I I think I'd be, he'd be a really cool guy to just. Sit down and shoot, and he seems like a cool guy to sit down and shoot the breeze with too. You know, yeah. not just this. I do. I like his show. Man. I, I what I love about Dan Patrick is he's kind of created this. Like he has the man cave that he broadcasts yeah. in, and he's created this this vibe on his radio show, or and it's a TV show too. Right. It it feels like you're in the room mm-hmm. hanging out with him, and they call him the Danettes, the, yeah, the like Danettes. his producers and, yes. and stuff. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think he's just a cool guy. You know, and, and I think I also with my personal bias would you know with anybody who's a mover in the, in the sports world i'd want to talk to about paralympic sport and say look you know what can we do to draw this sort of attention you know that's my yeah. that'd be my that'd be my end of the end of the dinner after i've charmed them you know to high heaven my plug be all right now what are you gonna do for me you know and so i think someone like him who's had so many different experiences in the sports media world because you know people always say oh we got to get more people to come out to our events we got to do this and this honestly i think the the media is the ones who can truly transform what we do as athletes so yeah dan patrick you may have i guess i have another one here too you might have already kind of answered it but right. uh, my other one was when you envision someone who lives a quote-unquote cool life <laughs> i know how to live a cool life is kind of yep. a, a nebulous title for yeah, yeah. this podcast but um who, who do you envision when you think oh man that person lives a cool life yeah, well, I think, I, yeah, I kind of gave it away. Dan Patrick, I think, lives a very cool life. I think, you know, uh, uh, cool is, is of course, relative, you know, and I think that anyone who just, you know, exudes passion in their life, who exudes, um, you know, clear love of what they're doing, and I think he's a great example of that. You know, he loves what he's doing. You know, I think he really, really has a great passion for it. You know, I think that... Um, 
yeah, I think anybody who just who just who who loves what they're doing, he kind of he's he's easily now he's the first one coming to mind. Um, but you know, there, there's there's people living cool lives who are teachers. You know, I've met some teachers who just love it. That's what they want to do. They're teachers and they just love it. And you kind of where would you rather be? Right here. This is this is what I love to do. And I think. You know, cool can be anywhere. Like I said, from a senator, a president, a talk show host can be cool, to your just your your teacher who just loves seeing kids every day, or the janitor who loves seeing the kids every day and writes a blog on the side. You know, just if you had uh, one full calendar year and you were you were supported financially to do whatever you wanted, you you get to master a craft. You get one full calendar year, and you get to focus almost entirely on this one thing. That maybe you you're not good at right now, or that's that's sort of something that you're you're not that experienced in. What would it be? Right, that. Ooh. Um. Let's see here. You know, that's 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 a good question because you, we spend I spend so much time focusing on what I have to improve on already that I'm yeah. good at. You know, but if if I were to take up something, you know, that I just that I've just a, a totally totally set aside. You know, I'd like to become a better writer. You know, I write a blog on the side, but I'd love to just read writing and learn about writing because I think that, you know, th- this might be kind of a weird way to put it, but, you know, as we move into a TV society, we move into, uh, you know, an all all visual and audio society. I think there still is a, a, a lot of power behind the written word that is that will exist and will continue to exist. You know, I don't think people are going to stop reading anytime soon. People are going to start, stop, um, stop doing that. And I think, you know, words are still one of the most personal ways to consume things and it allows people to really interpret them on their own terms mm. you know like I, I my, my favorite books are Harry Potter growing up and I've, I I love the books more than I'll ever like the movies because you know those in, images you create in your own head those ideas you come up with by yourself are so much more profound than you know what gets stamped into a movie and say this is what it is oh yeah I used you know? to get mad like when you'd read a book first mm-hmm. And then you see the movie, and and you, so you read the book, and you've got this vision in your head of what the characters are supposed to look like. Uh-huh. And then you know you see a movie, and you're like, no, 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 that's to- that's not right. what I thought that character oh, was supposed it, to it, look it, like. It, it that's wrong. You, or they leave parts <laughs> out, and you're like, what is this? This is what I this is what I read. You know, this isn't my this isn't my my idea. Yeah, exactly. You know, your your imagination is so much greater than anything the the um you know you can put to screen. So. What are your uh, what kind of what types of media do you consume on a regular basis? Like what? Uh, what? What are some of your favorite readings or websites or, or things that you frequent or books that right. have made an impression or podcasts or or just different types yeah. of media in general? Um, I read a lot, you know, and I I, I read I read the gamut. Um, I'm reading. I'm just I got for Christmas. I got the Game of Thrones books. So I'm starting on book one. Um, so that's kind of my 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 fun read. Um, I get the Atlantic magazine and I get the Economist magazine, which oh, I know are kind of yeah, I'm a, high class down. Yeah, there. I'm a little I'm a little scholar over here. Um, but get, like I said, I like to know what's going on in the world. You know, I like to feel like even if I'm informed on a very, you know, basic uh, what's the word? You know, surface level, I still like to feel like I'm at least aware of what's going on in the world around us. Um, my favorite website to read was Grantland before it got shut down. Yeah, um, I, I they really kept the archives that. up. For the archives you, are still up. You can go in and look. But um, <laughs> you know, I loved Grantland. I like, I like, I love good sports writing. You know, I think that there's a lot of great stuff. Um, obviously, you know, as a sports fan, ESPN is always homepage. Click and see what's going on. Um, but I really try to just touch on everything. You know, I try to get a little look at you know what's going on in the world, social issues, sports issues, social justice issues, just the whole. 
the whole gamut. If you if you if you said to me, "Hey, check this out," I'll probably I'd probably go home and read yeah, it. That's <laughs> awesome, man. I like how open minded you are, just in general. I think yeah, that's cool. you know, I think that it's too easy to it's easy to close yourself off. It's easy to say, "Well, this is the way it is. I believe this, and we're just we're just gonna go there. We're not gonna yeah. we're not gonna do anything else." If people want to check in with you or connect with you, what are the best ways for people to find out more about you or to connect with you? Social media. Uh, yeah. Throw out some different paths. Yeah, the best the best way is you know Facebook. I have my own Facebook fan page. If I don't know you, I'm probably not gonna add you to friend. <laughs> but I have my Facebook fan page. Just facebook.com. Chuck Aoki. Search me. You'll find me. Um, uh, Twitter Aoki Five Chuck is probably the most active. I am Aoki the number five Chuck. Those those two, and I'm on Instagram too. Chuck Aoki. Cool. Want to see the cool pictures of my life? Yeah, just like all the selfies of you, just exactly. cheesy grins in yeah. front of the Dan Patrick show. That, oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> Chuck, thanks so much, man. That was super fun. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me.